Making a no-budget film? It's like going to war. But you're not General MacArthur. You're more like a squad of Viet Cong guerrillas behind enemy lines, trying to complete an impossible mission using guile and your wits. It's risky, difficult, and dangerous. I can swear to it. I've been there. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast. Putting the sin back in the cinema every Monday. You can follow us on our Instagram page, at Grindhouse Podcast, and now on Facebook. Matt, we're literally taking over the internet right now. No, we're not. We are. We're all that's, over the place. No no way that's true. Everywhere you turn, billboards, you know, fake Facebook news about the Grindhouse Podcast is being shared by your aunt and uncle as you speak. <laughs> yeah, ignore the fake news. Whatever you heard about us. Right. There's a lot of rumors going it's around. Cult- cultural phenomenon well we've got a lot to talk about today there's a lot of big news this week that was heard across the universe several universes in fact um but first i have a question for you um you you starting to you starting to feel that certain electricity in the air yes do you have do you have any sense of brown leaf vertigo um that's a is that a misfits lyric I made it up right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, it sounded familiar. It's not from you, the song Halloween. No, I, I 100% made it up. Just Are you now. saying, oh, because you feel that we're getting close to Halloween? That's still months away. I'm just, it's, no, it's not really, though. We're, by the time this podcast comes out, we'll be two weeks away from September, which is the start of the colloquial fall season. Well, I've got to start working on a costume. Yeah, it's it's going to pass by before you know it. And... Along with the undeniable need for pumpkin spice that inevitably you'll start to feel in the coming weeks, I thought, you know, for me, the Halloween and and the fall season is my favorite of all seasons. It's a special time when I feel like no matter who you are, you tap into that sense of of wonder and and imagination that you you may have lost since you were being a kid. And it all sort of culminates on Halloween night when... People dress up as ghouls and goblins and sexy carrots and go out and terrorize the town. I like it because it's not it's not so cold that everybody wants to stay inside just yet. Uh, so you got a lot more of like activities happening outside at night. And in Texas, that means fires. We that's what we do out here. We just right. we set not like burnt not like arson like we <laughs> but like if we're not hanging like out we, we get like a fire pit going. You know we get we always get a fire going wherever we're at here. Uh, in that time of year, and that's just so fun. like uh, so like Devil Night from The Crow. No, no, we're not like starting so, cars on fire. It's like you so know, it's no, like we gather wood and and um, stand around it. <laughs> we light talk. it up, light yeah. it up. Yeah, well, maybe uh, listen, it, <laughs> we do, we do. So as as a way to this is going to be the Grindhouse's first Halloween season. And I thought it might be kind of cool, sort of a fun idea to do something special for it. I thought, um, why let sports fans have all the fun with tournaments? We would do our own tournament, single elimination. In fact, it would be the first annual Grindhouse Presents single elimination tournament. This one, the inaugural one for the greatest horror film of all time. Ever made. Ever and forever until next year. What are the criteria for greatest? Is this the scariest? Is this just like the best cinematography? Is there something um, 
you know, that would, that, that would knock a movie out. Like, uh, would we be cool with, um, say like, a some of those co- uh, hybrid cross genre comedy horror, uh, horror musical would Rocky horror picture show count in this? You know, I listen on some people's list. Maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily argue it for me personally. I went with something that still evokes like a, a sense of dread within me. You know, even it, that from the time that I first saw these films to now, many years later, in some instances, are these films films that when I watch, I maybe still leave a light on. That maybe maybe I need to like watch something else between watching the movie and going to bed just to sort of cleanse the palate. So for me, my criteria this eliminates horror comedy. This eliminates horror musicals. Uh, things of that nature. This is really, to me, truly scary films. Okay, scary, yeah, scary movies, and they, they can be scary in all kinds of ways. They can totally be, uh, you know, intellectual horrors that make you think, body horrors that make you cringe. With whoa, what's that would be a horrible thing if I got that disease or just anything. World building, costuming. Um, something that evokes a sense of real scares and fright. So that, that's at least what I was sort of thinking. So do these have to be uh, supernatural horror films? Like would a serial killer slasher film count? Something like that? Would that be all right? A- absolutely. Like as far as I'm concerned, there are no hard and fast rules for this. Um, the way to work is I will come up with eight films that I feel like are in my top eight of horror films that can contest for the title of greatest horror movie of all time. And you'll come up with your own eight that you feel are, you know, accurately represent something that could be the greatest horror movie of all time. And then every week, two of my films will combat against one another audience vote. And two of your films will combat against each other audience vote. Okay. And then whomever the audience votes for will win and advance in the bracket until like Highlander says, there can be only one. All right, so we are going for the uh, the greatest horror movies of all time, but we are yes. talking they got to be scary. I, I think they have got to be scary. They've got to be creepy. they got to still make you feel just a little bit uneasy on some level or at least immerse you into the sense of that horror world. Okay, I think I got it. All right, okay. let's – uh. well, what, what's your first contender, man? Well, I think this should be no surprise to anyone who's listened to the podcast before. Um, my favorite horror film of all time – John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Mm, that's the one with Alice Cooper in it. Alice Cooper plays uh, a creepazoid. Um, it deals with science and the abuse of science and the uh, bringing the the potential to to bring the the devil or some sort of evil entity from another dimension when science gets a little reckless. Now that is not the one with Alice Cooper in the starring role. That would be Monster Dog. That's correct. And no, he just plays are, sort of a monster, side character. Monster Dog is probably not going to be on anybody's greatest horror film list. He's not. Uh, it's not on my list. <laughs> but it does exist, and if you want a weird good time, see Monster Dog. But okay, anyway, we're not doing that. That's right. We're not doing that today. We're not doing the recommendations. We are. That's right. We are, this is uh, competition, this is, man. This is the that's right. Time to fight. All right. Let's All right. see and, then. And 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 I think I was just feeling like to to combat that first off the bat. I think I would have to go with, you know, one one A one B, for my favorite horror film of all time, The Omen, another movie that deals with potentially the devil or devilish stuff, and let them go head to head round one. What about you? 
Oh, uh, let's see. All right. For the for the first round, uh, so so we're picking t- two at a time, and then yep. and then the audience is going to vote which two they like. Exactly. Your two, my two. Okay, I see. I think I see how it goes. All right. Yeah. So 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 week one. So we'll announce it this week, and then at, when this podcast lists, we'll list. Uh, in, Dave, in distance, it's, uh, I pr- said I see how it goes. Oh well, I then understand. carry on, you wayward soul. <laughs> I get it, man. You don't have to. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, Slither is what I'm going to start off with. Uh, is that a James Gunn? James Gunn. Before everybody knew his name, before uh, Disney was afraid to work with him, and I was going to say when he was allowed bef- to make uh, priest jokes. Yes, and and long before they decided they should start working with him again, they had a, <laughs> he. Uh, it was actually it was right after his uh, trauma film days. He finally got a major okay. motion studio release, and it was a film called Slither. And it's a weird sci-fi body snatchers ish sort of uh, film. It was um, it was really good. Uh, the, like I, I think it was a weird thing because it released didn't really sell a lot of tickets, but the trailer was just really fun and awesome. I, I think I think people just kind of enjoyed the trailer so much they didn't feel like they had to go see anything else. But um, but yeah, do see it. A, the trailer's not enough. Yeah, it's just what uh, Kevin Bacon would be kind of the most recognizable name. Mike, uh, maybe Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker, yeah, Kevin Bacon's not in it. Oh but, no, he uh, was in the other James Gunn movie. He was in um, uh, was it Super? No, he. Oh, he was. He was the he villain was. in Super. Was, That's right, yeah. with uh, Rain Wilson. Yeah, oh, for, uh, Super's not bad. It's not a horror film though, so we're not talking not, about it tonight. Doesn't make the list. Uh, Sorry, right. Bacon. Yeah, maybe next time. But yeah, Slither's got some of the weird. I would even wouldn't call it body horror. Wouldn't even. I don't know if I'd call it a sci-fi horror. It's to me, it's a biology horror. Ooh, I don't know what that damn. means, but so, watch well, Slither. There's, there's, watch Slither, and you'll a, know what I mean. I think there's a sense of anxiety sometimes when it comes to science. It's science that we don't quite understand, and and biology, and and. Um, zoology is is topics that most people don't really quite wrap their head around so it makes it kind of extra creepy that's right you got to study extra hard for those tests in in school and and but this film you don't have to study at all you just go on in blind because that's that's what happens to the people in this little podunk town when this thing shows up uh and it it is a thing it's a weird thing and that's segues me into the movie it's up against going up against slither the original crazy body morphin alien weird ass movie the thing by john carpenter another john carpenter week one well yeah that's right we, well i figure he's probably going to show up here a few times but uh yeah uh, maybe I don't, but uh john carpenter's the thing is uh it is a remake of a much older film but it's it's the one that did it right there's there's also a remake of the remake and that don't don't go near that but man that that has some of the best practical effects i've ever seen I mean, it's a thing. We've all seen it. Uh, so yeah, Stan yeah. Winston, I believe. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to explain it. If you haven't seen it, just we don't just go see it. You should know already. But so Slither versus the Thing. That's my first round. Okay. All right. Well, uh, also in the first round for week two, I was I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know what? With Prince of Darkness and with the Omen, you've, you, you, I'm really tapping into that sense of of Catholic horror. You know, a lot of religious um, iconography. Uh, but but with this next, uh, f- you know, week two of, of round one, I, I want to uh, a little bit more, something a little bit more meta, maybe. Maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, breaking of the fourth wall. So it uh, might be a little bit of a left-field choice, but I'm going to go with a horror master in Wes Craven, but 
I'm going to go not with the original Nightmare on Elm Street, but in fact, New Nightmare. Bold which choice. I think is the best. Hmm. It was good. That's the one where Freddy is in the real world and he's actually, the actors are playing themselves. That's right. That's right. And, and it, yeah. And, and it really was the bridge, I think, between coming out of the 80s era of horror, which was heavy on effects, but also heavy on camp, especially by the late 80s. Um, the, the era of the slasher. It was a nice bridge between that and what came later in his Scream series, where wherein he picked on the tropes of horror films, but also used them to use your knowledge of these tropes to uh, us. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, it's a kind of self-review or what what is it uh it's a self-awareness uh horror film it's yeah he, he used your knowledge of these tropes to sort of subvert your expectations and that made it scary yeah it's kind of like you you knew what was coming but you didn't really know when the blow was going to land or uh yeah That's it was right. it was weird because it the characters felt safe because no one thinks they're in a horror film until they you know kind of realize they are in that situation so they're kind of making fun of it as it goes. Yeah, yeah that was pretty cool. Well, uh, and not only that, at, at the time that I saw it, it was I was still young enough that the idea of the movie that I knew was fake that it could be really real. Talking about Scream? Or are you talking about New Nightmare? No, I'm talking about talking about New Nightmare. Oh, back to New Nightmare. When New Nightmare yeah. came out, but there was probably like 13 or 14, maybe. Uh huh. And you know, I knew by this point that Nightmare on Elm Street was a fake movie, but then I watched this film, and it's like. What if it's not all that fake? And there's yeah. a really, yeah, there's a really interesting scene where Wes Craven plays himself, and he essentially has to keep writing the movies to keep the demon that that is known widely as Freddy Krueger sort of trapped within the script. Well, you know, um, I don't want to go too much an aside on this one, but Nightmare on Elm Street was uh, that was kind of king back then. I mean, when, when one of those movies came out, everybody was talking about it at school. It was it was a big deal. And parents hated it, especially Christian parents. They, they, and they, which is kind of interesting because, like, the uh, new nightmare was not the first time I, I heard Freddy Krueger be called a demon. Uh, really? Oh yeah, there were there were grownups in my church that actually believed that this was some kind of a demon uh, that was, you know, it's the same people that thought that uh, demons would put their, uh, you know, messages backwards on records and stuff. Mm, they kind right. of had this idea that some horror films actually had real demons working in them and uh not not like everybody on sets hanging out with a demon but like more like um the idea like the can, devil yeah like yeah. the devil's using horror films to sort of spread a message yeah and, either and it was like demonically youth. inspired or uh the director was a demon was a devil worshiper and like he was referring to like a real demon from some mythology or something it was and so um I was it was interesting to see that film come out because it was you know since I was like six I was hearing that Freddy Krueger was a demon, and then here's right. a film that's like no that's that's what's going on that's the story. <laughs> right, right. It was Very super cool. creepy. I love uh, the Wes Craven scene in particular. Always really stuck out to me. And so um, to combat it in week two, I thought from one creepy writer to another, and I would go with uh, Stephen King's The Shining. Mm. That's possibly going to win this whole thing. The Shining is Jack, like a masterpiece. I mean, the Shining is just a masterpiece across the board. It doesn't even, it, you know, we could be doing a a bunch of different genres and The Shining could be a contender. 
That's absolutely. just a I mean, brilliant film. Jack Jack Nicholson's he embodies Jack Torrance. Um, you know, every every aspect of it is so haunting, creepy, intense, and it builds and it builds and it builds. And even the even the way Stanley Kubrick edited the film gives it this really sort of off kilter. I don't know, sense of dread. Like it, it just kind of cuts immediately, and now it's another day, and and you're like, wait, what happened? Like what, where? And the the progressions of madness just come both slowly and then suddenly. Yeah, Kubrick really made it his own because the book is actually kind of more of a story about a child that's a psychic when um, and the situation he finds himself in when isolated out in a hotel, his dad starts going crazy and being kind of tormented by ghosts. This little psychic kid. It's he's the real target. Like he's what they really want, you know. And um, I don't know if you if you know the like the red Volkswagen story that no. um, Kubrick. So Kubrick didn't think that story was as good as the story of the um, you know the caretaker of the, the 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 figure of head of his family, the father, uh, kind of having a breakdown and becoming the villain. He thought that was the more interesting story. Right. And so um, he kind of sent this message. Uh, to sort of to Stephen King. Uh, so in the beginning of the book, they're going out there in that Volkswagen heading out to the hotel. And in the book, it's red. It's a red Volkswagen. Uh, I think I got this right. And in the movie, I believe it's blue. Mm. So that, okay, so that's pretty minor. But then later on in the film, you see um, a, uh, there's a scene where I think it's the groundskeeper is coming back to save them. And he gets stalled by an accident and you see this truck has turned over and landed and crushed a red Volkswagen. And they say that was like Kubrick's message to Stephen King that like, there's your story. This isn't, this is Yeah. I'm doing mine, which is kind of interesting and kind of made Stephen King really angry. Yeah. I can imagine that. I can imagine that. Which is funny because I think at, at the heart of Kubrick's version of the shining is, is the internal madness that can come from a tortured artist. Or at least, or at least one who who imagines himself an artist. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with him. That is the better story. Uh, the story of the psychic kid didn't really compel me that much, but the story of the crazy breaking down, yeah, uh, hyper stressed, you know, out of his mind father. That was that was good. Uh, nice. So let's see. Uh, what? So what? So I said round earlier, but the round is the uh, whole. Well, this, yeah, thing. this would still be round one, but it okay, would be so, uh, week two. Round one, week two. This is oh, this is for week two. Okay, so uh, entering the tournament in week two, uh, we're gonna have Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, a classic. film that is just like, like to me, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like that. Like I, I saw this guy get in a car accident once in front of me. His car just like tumbles and jumps and spins and i mean it's just it's continuing forward it's still at like 40 miles an hour just flipping and all parts are flying off and all kinds of stuff dust everything and uh to me texas chainsaw massacre is like once you kind of get into the you know the you know once you get past like the intro and the characters and all you know it's just that the entire film it's just just violence and chaos nonstop, uh with with completely random you don't know what's coming next and unapologetic, unstoppable. It's, it's like a, uh, it's, it's, it's intense. And, um, and, I, and so yet I, not nearly as gory as people will remember. That's true. And, and also, uh, to in that car wreck story, I, I pulled the man out of his car and he was okay. Oh, I thought you were going to say he had a leather face on. 
No, no, he was a real person. He he oh. he was actually he got like the flu or something, and he was throwing up, and he just oh. went off road. <laughs> but, terrible. Uh, but yeah, it's not as it's it's true. It's not that's amazing too that it accomplishes that because there's films like that that people remember as like the, oh that's like the most gory, disturbing. You watch it again, yeah. There's some messed up stuff in it, but it's it doesn't even compare to some of the other films as far as gore that we're talking about oh. today. Hundred percent, and also as an aside, you live pretty close to where they filmed the original film, right? That's it's right, Round Rock. That's right, and it's all a true story. <laughs> when we were growing up, we were always told it was a true story. We're based. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess, in reality, it was loosely based on Ed Gein. But you know, growing up, we were always told that the events of that film were based on something that happened in mm-hmm. Round Rock, Texas. Yeah, it was a documentary. Um, so Texas Chainsaw Massacre, great film. And yeah, uh, going up against it, I've got John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. Yes, the master returns. Yes, once again, he's yeah, he is the master. Let's admit, it. I mean, he, he's the he's the man. Uh, but that that was one of his later ones. Came in the nineties. Uh, I think Sam Neill. I was gonna and, say Sam um, Neill was great. That one deals with like, kind of goes with like a Lovecraft sort of. Uh, this is sort of like uh, an H.P. Lovecraft, Stephen King style writer is. Um, he he starts kind of controlling reality with his fiction. It's a it's a weird weird concept, and it takes a while to get get into. But once you kind of get going, and it really gets wild, uh, the chaos and the craziness and all the Lovecraft style inspired you know aesthetic, it, it gets really good. And uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Strong strong contender. Um, so for my week three now of round one of our first round, we have uh, this might come as a little bit of a surprise it's it's i i know there'll be some audience members are going to say this isn't a scary movie at all but it's so cool and it is scary in a sense in in terms of the world building and um the imagery and that is tim burton's sleepy hollow yes one of which i think is actually his best film um you know taking one of the few american horror story classics you know from American folklore and transforming it into this just dark, gothic, atmospheric, nonstop, you know, chill ride. It's super cool. There's there's some levity to it, but like the introduction of witchcraft into the story, um, again, in this instance, science is actually used to combat evil. Tim Burton takes a different perspective than a lot of horror you know, filmmakers will do in that science has no place in the monster, but in fact, science is used to defeat said monster. And so it's very symbolic of the transition between old lore and a more scientific method way of viewing the world. I thought that was a nice, a cool introduction. Ichabod Crane, who's played by Johnny Depp goes from being um, a school teacher in the original novel to being a detective who's, who's shunned for his reliance on this, the scientific method. Well, you know, he, he kind of had like little gadgets and, and, and weird scientific tools uh, that he used in his crime, you know, his crime fighting, I guess you'd say, his, his detective work. Right. The other cool thing about Sleepy Hollow was, um, you know, whatever, Tim Burton's cool, Christina Ricci's beautiful and fantastic as this very ethereal sort of, nature witch but but let's really be honest this movie hinges on the final reveal of mr christopher walken 
as the Hessian, as the headless horseman, yeah, come back from hell to drag wrongdoers back into hell with him. Uh, walking was pretty scary with those uh, sharpened teeth. That was creepy stuff, man. That's right. That's right. And so I was thinking to go up against Sleepy Hollow, I would pick a film that also dealt with a creepy creature from hell come back to drag wrongdoers back to hell with it. And that is another one of my favorite films, Hellraiser. Oh, wow. Those are two very different movies. Very different, but there's there's some similarities there. Uh, a leather-bound, creepy guy come back from hell to drag evildoers back into hell with it. Sound yeah. familiar? Yeah, okay, sure. I could see that. Um, in Clive Barker's Hellraiser, the original Hellraiser, he does such a good job of infusing a sensuality and a sexuality into the film. And the film is about carnal pleasure. It's about lust, but it's also about those pleasures going too far going into a dark place and we've talked about it often before in the podcast you know pinhead who's the most recognizable of all the cenobites isn't actually the villain of the film no he's not that's true no no it's, no the it's villain of the film is uncle frank is, yeah yeah it's frank the monster yeah who uh who's whose need for pain and pleasure went just too far went too far wanted too much couldn't come back from it he treated the world like a tourist. You know, he treated life like he was just some tourist there to take, take. And, uh, and, and, you know, sometimes when you're a tourist, really things, really terrible things, really things, like things that are real. No, really bad things is what I was trying to say <laughs> uh, happen to you. Uh, if you if you don't watch where you're going, you know, if you just get a little too carried away, if you think uh, the whole world's your playground, you know, you, you might get a little, you might get taught a lesson. Like, let's say maybe you're, uh, you're visiting London. And you just start going into neighborhoods, you know, late at night, just looking for thrills. You might end up, you know, maybe somewhere you're not supposed to be. Not and, respecting uh, your surroundings. You know, maybe the wildlife out there, it's not what you're used to. Maybe it's dangerous. Maybe it's not even animals. Maybe some of that wildlife is supernatural. I'm talking werewolves. I'm talking London werewolves of London, just like the song nice. says. This is getting a little abstract. I'm talking about American Werewolf in London, and that's my next movie oh. on the list. Fantastic werewolf film. Some of the best transformation scenes with no CGI. I mean, oh, uh, they're, just they're in, amazing. incredible stuff. Tom Savini just going off, just showing what he can do. And uh, and this, this crazy, creepy layer that I've never seen in a werewolf film before this, where every person that he kills as a werewolf gets to haunt him as, as a ghost. So oh, yeah. when he's when he's not in wolf form, so it was just kind of cool. It kind of adds a little incentive where you might want to you might see where after a while, like where a guy might want to be in wolf form because at least he doesn't have to deal with his entourage of angry ghosts that are mad that he killed them. But uh, right. that was such a cool layer. So that was a good one. And then uh, you know the other side of that, the werewolves now and nowadays they're in the same movie. These two monsters. It's like wherever you have one, you have the other. But that'd be vampires. So right. to go up against American Werewolf in London, I'm gonna pick a vampire film. I usually don't like vampire films because they're usually like, mm, sexy, ooh, creatures of the night, carnal desire, <laughs> you know. But this is not one of those because the vampire in this movie, she's like 11 years old, and uh, it's the Danish film Let the Right One In. Now it was right. it was remade in America called Let Me In. Don't watch that. I don't care if you don't want to read subtitles. You've been to school. You learned how to read 
put it to use. Trust me. Or watch Absolutely. it. Watch it dubbed if you have to. Just don't watch the American one. Watch this no, one. No, don't watch it dubbed. Listen, don't watch it dubbed. Sometimes, sometimes reading the subtitles of a film, like first off, you're doing the actors injustice if you read uh, if you do a dubbed version because it's not. It never matches their performance. And also, sometimes the especially when it comes to horror films. When you're when you're slightly distracted by the subtitles, you don't always see what's coming around the corner, and that can be extra scary. That's right. That's right. It's just a little little extra layer to distract you, just to make put you into that more vulnerable position. But uh, and this film isn't the scariest movie on the list. Like I said, it's eleven. It's like an eleven year old girl that's a vampire, and she becomes best friends with this boy that is new to town. And he's got no friends, and he gets picked on, and. Um, they're, they're buddies, you know, and she kind of teaches them confidence, but it's a lot darker than it sounds because uh, she definitely eats people, innocent people that don't want to be eaten. That happens a lot in the film. And, Do any um, people want to be eaten? No, not usually, no. I mean, okay. and it's it's pretty wild, too, because it, it's not like, she, you know, she's still a little girl, but, you know, um, do you know what I mean by a Renfield the audience? Dave, you probably know. Uh, Renfield from uh, Dracula. That's right. It's 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 a character from Dracula, but it's also a kind of a vampire trope where um, a vampire, a powerful vampire, will always have sort of a human slave that a minion. That, yes, a minion, a human slave that's like a daywalker that can go and do the do the things they can't do because they can't go out in the sun. And in right. in the case of this vampire, it's uh it's this like fifty something year old man, and he's the one that gathers all her victims. So it's almost like a vampire and a serial killer terrorizing this town. And then at the same time, she's best friends with this little boy that needs to learn confidence. Right. <laughs> it's, but it's really good. The, it's a great the film. juxtaposition of those two things is really interesting. And like, you know, again, you don't know quite what to root for, or what not to root for. And sometimes when the villain is, um, when you can empathize with the villain, it makes it that much weirder and harder to settle into a position that you feel comfortable with. Oh yeah. And the other thing I love about this one is she's not one of those, you know, bite you on the neck, sexy, you know, just two marks on your neck. I think a vampire killed this person. She's like pile of body parts on the ground afterwards. Vampire. Savage. Yes. (laughs) So very cool movie. Definitely recommend it. We'll see how it does in the tournament. Well, listen, listen, all this vampire talk, I, I actually, between between all this cool vampire talk and talking about carnal pleasure with Hellraiser, I'm actually going to go with um, the sort of carnal desire vampire film. I'm going to go with the carnal desire vampire film, the most romantic, sexy, dark, creepy, scary, visually stunning vampire film ever made. And that is Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. That oh, is yeah. a movie that is equal parts sexy as it is frightening. Um, I, I know, I know that Keanu Reeves is in it. I liked him in it. Uh, he he did okay. Okay, I'll I'll shut up. I, I think they could have just made him an American and taken away the British accent. Yeah, but but in the role of kind of a a you know dull dull edge boyfriend, he does great in that position um the added mythology of vlad having a love that was taken from him and therefore he's he curses god and god curses him back with eternal life but you know this the, this 
hunger and desire for blood until he meets a, essentially a reincarnated version of his love. Uh, it's it's just a romantic but also tragic but also frightening scary story, and Coppola picks like the most incredible way of setting this world. You know, did it go on to inspire goths in the nineties? Yes, but I think the world's better for it. Blame well, God, I don't hate goths in the nineties, but I think I would blame um, Interview with a Vampire for that more than Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely the better. Oh, and speaking of Renfield's, my one of my favorite artists, Tom Waits, is the is yes. Renfield, and that's a yes, great performance. Very cool. That's a fantastic performance. So to combat that film, which might be the most one of the most beautifully sh- cinematic, striking, and sexy oh, vampire oh, sorry, films of all time. Before you go to the next one. Um, I just want to talk about that curse, the vampire curse. The curse. Yes, because it, it. it's that's something that um made sense when I was a child watching the film the first time. But then as I grew up watching it, it's like, why does that turn you into a Dracula, like uh, or a vampire? Because uh, you, know, you know he gets mad and he's I hate God, I don't like God anymore, and God's a jerk, and uh, it's his fault that uh, Winona Ryder died, and uh, no one should worship God. I'm not going to let any of my people worship god and ba- and then it's like suddenly yeah, just god's just like boom vampire so well, like, i think where does I, that I come from because you know it's like you get god it's like you had adam you had eve mm-hmm. you, had, yep, you right. had all the animals a serpent what's vampire like where does he where, where does he just like get that out of the file like i this was a bad design i was going to make one of these first and i decided well, not to you're going to be what i'm thinking if you if you buy into the idea that Vlad was formerly of, I think he was probably of Catholic, maybe probably Eastern Orthodox, but um, God cast him out so he can no longer walk in the light, which is symbolized by his inability to walk during the daytime. Yes. He does in this film a little bit, right? Yeah, I think like he's got some special clothes he wears and kind of. But he's like a weak, he's a weakened state, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, If in the Bible you see verse after verse about the land of milk and honey, right? Eating at God's table, his bread. He, now he's cast him to never taste that again. In fact, the only thing that will uh, substantiate him is blood. Yeah. Right? Like like a mosquito. He's a, he's a vermin. He basically makes him a, a human vermin in in a lot of ways, right? He's, he's cast into shadows, has to live off of blood. Yeah. Like, you know, like he does have some awesome powers, but yeah, you don't want to be a vampire. It's not cool or fun. Well, right. Renfield I mean, does. Probably, Renfield wants to be a vampire. Well, because he's not really one. Yeah. No, he, like, he, he's not cool one. Like he the, wants to be one. He's, that's like his yeah. goal. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, like, it's probably cool for like the first, I don't know, 50 years. Probably pretty dope, you know, like stay eternally young, you know, and then, but then after a few centuries, it'd be a drag. Again, I guess it's not the kind of thing where you'd be like, you know what, when it gets old, I'll just go get some sun and in all this because it's like when you're a vampire like you know there's god which means like there's definitely hell so like right. you want to keep this thing going because it's not as bad as you know the other side of it I, yeah exactly uh it's dark it's dark man i'm here for it it's yeah it's weird stuff yeah but but to combat it in week one as in my final position in my bracket um i i picked another vampire film but one that's a little bit, uh, well, far more contemporary in setting than Bram Stoker's, but one that's a few years old now, but has a stellar lineup of cast. And um, is it what we really, do in the shadows? 
It's what we do in it's the shadows, not, isn't it? It's it's not because <laughs> I didn't do any horror comedy, but <laughs> but it does star one of your and my favorite singers of all time, uh, Mr. David Bowie. Oh, yes. Do you like the and, David Bowie? And you mentioned Rocky Horror Picture earlier. One of the stars of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And a great lady, especially politically. Listen to her because she's awesome. Uh, Susan Sarandon, who is one of the most gorgeous starlets of silver screen of all time. Yes, true, a true class act. Susan Sarandon is amazing. Uh, not only that, if you don't want to, if if the idea of David Bowie playing a a vampire in a more contemporary setting and Susan Sarandon. If that's not enough for you, let me ask you a question. How do you feel about Bauhaus as a band? I like them a lot. I like I like How the talent of Danny Ash's guitars. I like Peter Murphy's crazy vocals. I like the randomness of their songwriting. You never know where they're going to go. Why do you bring them up? Well, well, imagine a world in which Bauhaus covers David Bowie in a movie starring David Bowie. It's like a nexus of... The art, it's um, it's horrorception, and that's what you get when you watch The Hunger. That's right. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch The Hunger. It's sexy. It's weird. It's got amazing talent in it. Watch it. It's amazing. We hope that with all these films and some of them, a lot of them, most of them, maybe you've seen. Of course, they're classics in their own right. That's why they're in competition to be the greatest horror movie of all time. But there might be some gems in here that you may not have seen, and we invite you. Not only to participate with us and vote, but also check some of these films out that maybe you haven't seen. And I think if The Hunger is one of those films, absolutely check it out because it's rad. And I'll probably go watch it right after we're done with this podcast. That sounds like a pretty great movie. I can't believe I haven't seen it before. I'm a huge David Bowie fan, and um, I, I feel like I've done him a disservice by not watching his films. Uh, Man Who Fell to Earth is another one that I want to check out that I just haven't. Brilliant. Yeah, but uh, uh, let's see. Uh, I've got so we get what are we down to like. Last two, this is, I guess. Is this that? is this is the yeah. This would be the final week of our first round bracket. The winners of all these films, all these challenges, would go on then to the semifinal. Is that how the brackets work? Semifinal, yes. quarterfinal. We'll go on to the quarterfinal. Quarterfinal. Okay. Matt, do you know do you know what they call brackets? Do you know what they call the second round in brackets in uh in Europe? No. They call it a royale round. Okay. They don't. They wouldn't have. They wouldn't. They don't have quarters. They use the metric system. All right. So, uh, you well, you did Hellraiser earlier, and I agreed with you, but I thought that Hellraiser two um, was just a, just a little better to me because it had that cool hell scene, and I just like the special effects better. And I think Pinhead has some has a few lines that I just really enjoy. So was that the movie that introduced Leviathan as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, they go down in hell, and there's some big monster, and st- I, th- I think they do. I, I think they call it Leviathan. Uh, it's yeah. pretty good though, pretty cool, a lot of fun. So I like that one. I watched, oh. I watched a documentary. Oh no, you know, there's a um, just to give props before you move on to your the Challenger. It's uh, there's another podcast called Nightmare University. Yeah, in which uh, the host will sort of break down in a sort of scholarly way different film franchises, and she was talking about sort of the the management. Um, hierarchy in the Hellraiser series, wherein the Leviathan rolls all, yeah. followed by the Engineer, 
who I think gets a little bit more screen time in Hellraiser 2 as well, doesn't he? I don't know. I, I think you see the engineer in Hellraiser 2, but it's like, it doesn't look like something with an important job. It's kind of short and moving quickly across the floor, and you're just kind of like, it just seems more like a mindless uh, beast. So I, I don't know how that well, all works in hell, but apparently he's got a really important job, that weird little like, he, he's squirming like, thing. He's like, yeah, he's like the middle management. He's, hell, he's Pinhead's boss. Yeah. Which I, I like to think Pinhead doesn't have a boss. I think he just, you know, he's he's more of a freelancer. He can do what he wants. The engineer is like the Lumberg of hell. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He just walks around. We he, he didn't have his coffee cup in that scene, but he's got like a right. world hell's greatest boss coffee cup or something. <laughs> um, so going up against that, I've got Evil Dead. And I know this is going to be controversial because it's not Evil Dead. Fantastic. Sam Raimi. It's not, not awesome. I know. Bruce Campbell. Well, hold on. The chin? Yeah. All that stuff you say is pretty cool. None of it's in this film. What are you talking about? I'm not talking about Evil Dead 1 or Evil Dead what 2. About Evil Te- no, I'm what? not even talking about Evil Dead 2. Um, I know. I know. Which Army are, of Darkness? No. And those are great, great films. But Excellent I films. just don't find them scary is the thing. Ooh. Okay. All right. All right. But there's a little bit of comedy infused. It, there's a lot of comedy infused. And 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 the the monsters don't look real. Everything's very cartoony. I love yeah. those films. They're fantastic horror films, but if we're going to go with something that actually scares us, that didn't happen until I saw the 2013 Evil Dead. It was uh, a whole choice. different yeah, whole different production none of the original people, but kind of the original location and, and, and similar themes. But, uh, that movie was a damn roller coaster, man. It was, just, it was like, you're just watching this thing. Not every moment going, what is going to happen next? Like how, how am I going to get kicked in the stomach next? How am I going to, you know, what, when's the next blow coming? And they are heavy hits, man. I mean, a horrible assault with a nail gun, chainsaws guns uh i mean it's it's brutal it's it's cruel it's like and it's ah the the even the setting that it's like they take this uh they find this cabin in the woods where they can take this guy's sister while she recovers from drug addiction and (laughs) she ends up getting possessed by a demon spirit because the necronomicon the book of the dead is in the basement you know so it's very very similar to evil dead with the plot it's not a remake I don't think it's a remake because I think it takes place in the same universe. I think it's sort of just like after. I think it, it just the danger. Is it like was, an alternate reality? No, I, I think it's just twenty years later. I I, I don't know. Mm. That was the impression I got. But mm. but what it is, there is also, a scene at the though, very um, end. Talking like there's a scene in the what's that? I was, I was gonna say, is not there a scene in the post credits? I think where Bruce Campbell sort of enters into frame Alfred Hitchcock style where he says, uh, groovy, I think. I don't know. Huh? I didn't, I, 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 uh, I stay till credits now because I've talked to you about that and you, you told me I need to, but I, I didn't used to stay for credits in 2013. So I didn't see that, but, uh, there is a very Sam Raimi scene in the beginning where it's like a flashback to like 200 years ago. And there's some girl tied to a post down in the, you know, beneath the cabin and they're like trying to do some kind of exorcist and planning to burn her. And, um, 
she's uh, pleading with her father, oh, please, I love you, dad. And then she just starts saying, I'll swallow your soul. But she's saying like this innocent, like, like young teenage right, girl right. way. And he's like, what did you say? And then she, of course, just demons out. And you're like, whoa, yeah, we're in the evil dead world. But uh, it's, it's just really good. It's, and it's not, I don't think it is a remake. I don't even know if it counts as a sequel, whatever it is. It's almost like a tribute. Like it feels like uh like in, in the uh, Passion Play, they have something called Stations of the Cross, where it's like all the different things Jesus did, you know, leading up. And every time someone reenacts it, they rea- reenact all of those different things in their own way. And this right. felt like that, where it's like things, events from the original Evil Dead films do happen in this film with its own version with these new characters and stuff. And they're like the ultimate tribute. It's, it's wicked, man, because it's just like it takes this skeleton this framework from evil dead and then it just uses every trick they know from great horror to make it into this very uncomfortable visceral just violent and amazing experience i really enjoyed it so would you say it's the passion of ash yes i would the passion it's the passion play baby (laughs) awesome it's groovy all right well so so we'll post. So that's our that's our first round. We've Matt and I have given you our top eight. They will battle it out week after week until we get to the quarterfinals and the semifinals. And the week of Halloween, we will announce the winner of the greatest horror movie of all time. Oh, it's going to be fun, and it's going to be Halloween at the same time. So many cool things happen in that week. Awesome, awesome. So we invite you guys check out our check it out on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. Check it out on our Facebook. We just set it up. We'll put up polls we'll put them if you know us personally we'll put them up on our personal facebooks and what have you um we really invite you to be a part of it because ultimately we we view this podcast as a community and we want the community to decide what gets this year's title of the greatest horror movie of all time yes uh, we are a community and 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 currently we are a, a community that could all probably just fit at a couple tables pressed together in a family restaurant but like a Denny's, but we appreciate all of you either way. Yeah, that's right. Or, or maybe just the big booth at Denny's. We could have probably all, all of our listeners and appreciation we could, we could, meeting there. We sure. Well, <laughs> but you know, we ha- we actually get quite a bit of international, so it'd be be a pretty cool site, man. Oh, I'm not saying it wouldn't. Every one of our listeners is an amazing person. I that I do know for a fact because it's probably know them all personally. But uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, what, so we've got the tournament thing. Uh, we, yeah. we talked a lot about that now. That's a big, pretty big chunk of the show. We've got some show left, though. What else is going on yeah. in the world well, of Grindhouse-themed sty- style shit that we talk about? Well, I thought we might do something kind of cool, like a, a weekend news type sort of bit to, to button up the show. Um, grind news. I don't know if you're... I don't, I, yeah, Grind News? The Grind. News House. The, the Weekly Grind. The gr- you, know the, what, you know what grinds my gears? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll come up with them. Maybe you guys, you guys should come up with a title for our sort of weekend news report at the, at, on our podcast. Let us know what you guys think. You're probably way better at it than, than we are. But um, there has been some big use, like I said earlier, that has echoed across the universe, multiple universes, universes with masters, in fact. And the biggest news coming off of last week's podcast, we talked a lot about one of the great mo- horror movies of all time, with which I'm shocked didn't make our bracket. That's Kevin Smith's Tusk. But Kevin Smith has been busy since Tusk. And he announced his new project. And that is, he's going to be the showrunner for a new Masters of the Universe animated series 
on Netflix. So I know you were a big fan of Kevin Smith's work, so you expressed that emphatically last week. Uh, what is your thoughts on Kevin Smith being the one who has the power, who has the keys to the to Castle Grayskull? No, I think that sounds really cool. I mean, I, that's exciting. I mean, I'm a... I don't know uh, much about He-Man anymore. That was a long, long, long time ago. But, um, you know, it's like an action cartoon with some magic and stuff. It's fantasy. It's uh, So, yeah, I'll check that out. I'll see uh, what I think yeah, of it. My, my, my understanding is they're supposed to pick up where the series left off, but really focus on sort of the interpersonal relationships between uh, the characters and um, use the box art not so much the art from the original cartoon, but the box art as sort of the inspiration for the animation style, which should be really cool. It's the same team that did Castlevania, if you saw that. Um, so they do good stuff. I'm, pretty, I'm really excited about it. Well, I believe those, the boxes, uh, or not the, well, the toys came with comic books long before they had, yeah, right. well, not long before, they did, the show came along pretty frequently, pretty, pretty shortly after the toys came out, they had, they had the show, but like, well, is that correct? That each each uh, toy came yeah. with an issue of a comic book? Yeah, they had like a limited edition of comic books that sort of told a story, and then they, you're right, they ramped it up, and they they launched the animated series to really sort of push the toy line. Yeah, and that took it in a slightly different direction. But they they were saying, I was watching an interview, they were saying some really interesting things about um, really humanizing Prince Adam and his importance, and how it has to be Prince Adam who is He Man, and why that works, and if it was anyone else, it would be just different. It really sounds very like a cool. Uh, project led by people who really love the original franchise. So I'm, I mean, listen, it's got to be better than the Dolph Lundgren version. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure of that. Um, so what else is going on uh, in in the world there uh, besides the He-Man uh, cartoon coming up? Well, whereas that is good news, I, I do got have some, some bad news. Um, no one likes when a divorce happens. You know, it's always the kids that get sort of stuck in the middle when mom and dad are fighting. But in the world of entertainment, that's actually occurring. And it's really us fans who are going to probably suffer the most. Um, it, as you know, I know we talked a little bit about comic book movies last week. So Spider-Man, which uh, is a Marvel comic entity, but has been licensed to Sony for years and years and years, all the way back to the Sam Raimi, who we also just talked about, versions of his character. And um, they had struck a deal with Marvel Entertainment owned by Disney for Marvel to produce and for them to co-own, albeit for Sony to have the large, you know, the large stakehold in it financially, uh, Spider-Man movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. And they did uh, they did two movies. And I think he was in a couple of the uh, maybe three of the big team up movies, uh, Civil War. Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, and so are the two movies the most recent? The two most recent ones, those are not by Sony, those yes. are by Marvel? Okay. That's correct. Okay. Uh, Marvel produced them um, with Tom Holland starring as Spider-Man. And the way the deal was structured, Disney only had like 5% stake in it financially. So a lot of that money that was made is um, goes to Sony because they own the rights ultimately, even though uh last time they made the movie by themselves they made that god awful amazing spider-man 2 oh, okay okay that was yeah pretty bad <laughs> out of that news it was kind of an interesting question that came up just you know me scrolling through twitter whereas um there's a contingent of people who found disney asking to renegotiate to be um uncouth let's say and that um that they were feeling like a property like spider-man should in fact be in the public domain. Okay, no, why? Well, what is well, that based I, I on? Well, I guess they, 
Yeah, I guess I, based on the idea that the comic book was created in 1962 by Stan Lee, and so it's been in the public for a long enough time, and should a company like either Sony or Disney be able to have a monopoly on this? So much so that there was a, a I don't know, some random tweeter dork who said um, that intellectual property is theft, which I, I actually think that he was mis, misquoting um, property is theft which meant that the owners of the means of production only exist because they exploit labor. Um, I think he misinterpreted that to say intellectual property is theft. But I thought that was kind of interesting as artists, that there are people championing for art to essentially be free to the public. Uh, no, I, don't, I don't think that's a great idea. I mean, if you create some character, you know, and you think hard about it and you put a lot of backstory into it and everything, um, it's... I, I don't think it's fair for someone to say, I can tell stories about that character better and then just to start, just take your character and start putting them into their stories. Uh, that's, yeah, I, I think maybe someday, someday in a way more progressive future, I could see all that being okay. But for now, um, I, I think it's, you know, the, there was something that happened recently where, um, I can't remember his name, but he's the uh, the illustrator that made that Pepe the Frog character. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. You know the Pepe the Frog that got used in all the racist memes and became like and, a Donald Trump symbol. Uh, yeah, he didn't intend that, right? No, that wasn't his that's not him at all. Frog. And recently, he won a lawsuit, and uh, no one's allowed to make you know uh, to officially use his Pepe the Frog character. I mean, I'm sure it still will happen on the internet, but like you actually can get in trouble now. Uh, it's it's like the precedents made. And, and so I, th I think that's really cool that like people can still protect their ideas like that. So no, I don't think as soon as you get an idea, it belongs to everyone. Uh, nah, <laughs> I don't like that. Like you got to think like independent artists have a struggle now for any Avenue of being able to survive solely on their art. I mean, you know, uh, you have day job. I have day jobs. Like, you yeah. know, we, there's, there's probably more creative endeavors we would love to spend our time doing, this podcast included, and it's an aside to our day jobs. Yeah, I was reading the Beastie, Beastie Boys. They came out with that book earlier this year. Have you, have you checked it out? No, I haven't. Dude, it's fantastic. But there's this great story in there about where they, um, when they were just getting started, still, still a punk band, their first, uh, like, big check they ever got for making art, basically came from right. uh, British Airways, oddly enough, the the airline company from, from the 80s. Really? Yeah, yeah, from England. And uh, it's like this crazy story. Like they they were just goofing around. A friend's dad let them kind of use his studio, his recording studio for free one night. And they were goofing around and they made this like really silly reggae, dub reggae song called Beastie Revolution. And like not even a year later, he's at a friend's house and there's this TV on in the next room turned up really loud. And he hears that reggae song because they did release it they made like a local yeah, right. like a local release in new york you know local record shops were carrying it and stuff so he hears that beastie revolution reggae weird goof around song that they made the b-side you know and um it's on a british airways commercial uh wow. it's like this weird commercial where two two pilots go to like a bar in space and there's like aliens dancing and that was the music that they used Right. So um, they without, were with, with or without permission. Without permission, that's what I'm saying. That's his first. Right. I mean, this is not even like the record. There's no record company. There's nothing. This is like they made their own. They pressed their own record. You know, like they. You know what I'm saying? It's like very local. Yeah. And so uh, they ended up doing a getting a lawyer, and uh, they got this settlement. And each member of the Beastie Boys at the time got ten thousand dollars. 
And they used that $10,000 to buy the instruments, you know, the, the Roland 808 drum machine, you know, the guitars, all, all this, all the stuff that went on that license to ill, that first album were yeah, instruments right. they bought with that settlement, the record, you know? So think about that. Like if intellectual property, if they, if they couldn't claim that right to it, we may have never even heard of the beastie boys. That's incredible. And, and that's it. And, and, and I think that it's real easy when you're just talking about multi-billion dollar corporations like Disney or Sony, but you know, um, you know, one of our favorite bands, the misfits is currently touring and the guitarist of the D misfits. Doyle has a solo project called Doyle that he tours. Now when he plays for the misfits, I'm sure he makes a decent amount of money now that the original lineup has kind of reunited. But when he goes out as Doyle, which is really his passion, you can tell, I mean, he loses money on every tour. Yeah. He makes no money from Spotify. Um, you know, he, he's reliant on hoping you'll buy merch to make any money just to get by. And, like, luckily he's in the position that he gets some royalties from old Misfits albums. But for a lot of artists, it's just unsustainable to be able to create art, which ultimately makes the world a better place. Um, yeah, stealing from big corporations might seem like no big deal, but when it extends to like local artists and smaller artists and people who are just trying to get by, I, I have, I, I think that the idea that intellectual property is theft is pretty misguided. Yeah. I would be willing to bet that that same guy that posted that thing about intellectual property being theft, he's probably that kind of guy that like puts Craigslist ads out calling for photographers and he wants to pay them with exposure. You know, it's, yeah, right. it's, it's, that attitude is just, there's no escape in it. We've all, everybody, right. I'm sure you've confronted it. I've been off, made those oh, offers, oh, uh, industry, all the you know, time. I, with me, they always start out acting like they're paying customers. And then once they get the sticker shock and everything, they, then they start talking about like, Hey, well, we will promote you at our event. And, oh man, get out of right. here. <laughs> cool. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Matt, we have, uh, you know, a couple episodes ago, you did a mailbag episode. Uh, this week we had a mailbag question. I thought maybe we would uh, take a couple moments and just maybe help a, a fellow listener, a, 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 one of the members of our community out with a question that they have. Okay. All right, this comes from Hashtag Piety, and she says, Dear Grindhouse, I'm a pretty big wimp when it comes to horror films. Any recommendations you would make for a scary cat film watcher? Yes. Uh, so first off, uh, none of the films we recommended today Probably not. Yeah, none of those. But there are some that we kind of that we kind of skipped over because they they weren't scary, but they were more fun. And, that's right. Uh, let's see. So I'm I'm gonna go with Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Great choice. Yeah. Great choice. That's for, a, funny. It is. Fun, uh, it is definitely a horror film. There's no way you can get around that. That is a horror movie, but it is very funny, and the characters are awesome. And especially the two main characters are just lighthearted, lovable people that you just want to hang out with and. So uh, Tucker and Dale versus evil, you're going to see some crazy, violent, gory, horrible things, and you're going to laugh a lot at the same time. So it, so you will get that. I watched a horror movie badge, uh, but you'll walk away from it feeling okay that you won't be disturbed. Absolutely. You know, I would, I would recommend, um, you know, universal famous monsters, um, you know, the original Dracula, the, the, the 30s Dracula, the Frankenstein, um, one of my favorite films, which which barely didn't make the list because I feel these are not only horror films, but really classic cinema, which is that creature of the Black Lagoon. All of those movies are fantastic. Um, you can watch them. They have they have all the roots of the horror elements that you see in, in more contemporary scary films. But 
but because of the nature and because of the, the time that they were made, they're probably mild enough for a scaredy cat film watcher to enjoy and yeah. and also appreciate and see the the humble beginnings that kicked off the horror genre. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. That sounds like a good recommendation too, because then you can also you know claim that you've you know you've done your you paid your dues. You've watched some like classic cinema and you've some cultural. Uh, uh, what is it? Milestone films. It kind of is. Right. That was a big one. They get a cachet. Big... Get cachet. Yeah, and as my, and you know, and, and like like you're saying, it at the time it terrified people, but um, it probably won't scare you that bad now. No, it'll be fine. You'll be fine. Enjoy it. So we hope that that helped you out, and we hope that you will reach back out to us and let you let us know what you thought of some of the films we recommended. There's something I wanted to say, which is I'm about to do a big. 180 right now uh, but um okay uh i wanted to make a new grindhouse policy and i know we're getting we're kind of gone over and we're getting a little eh, close we'll, to the we'll end here but there's something i wanted to bring up i uh th- that i i think is going to have to just be a policy for the show from now on um we, you know we recommend a lot of movies on this show yes. and some of them are kind of controversial kind of shocking and stuff and i I kind of went down this YouTube rabbit hole this week and I was looking at like, you know, top 10 most disturbing films of all time. And, uh, you know, films banned in this country, you know, in these countries, you know, you know, things like that, like those, those ones that really push the envelope. And, uh, one of the things that some of these, not a lot, all of them, you know, there's still some decent people out there making shocking, even, even the terrible shocking films still are made by decent people sometimes. But a lot of these films had animal cruelty, like real animal cruelty, in there, oh. and it's kind of, you know what I mean. Like it's a, like, like, hol- like a, what is it? Holocaust? Can- cannibal Holocaust? Did it? I I uh, I don't remember that. Yeah, they kill a turtle. So why would you? Why would you kill a turtle, man? But, and and it got me thinking though. You know, we recommended a lot of films on the show, and I have actually recommended some that did that. I, I would say did have some animal cruelty in them. Uh, oh really? Yeah, one. Be- I think I recommended an Australian film one time called Bad Boy Bubby. And so what I was going to say is. Um, First off, I'm, I'm sorry if anybody was disturbed by those films if they watched them and saw those scenes. But um, sometimes we recommend films that are that might have something like that, and uh, maybe the film is still worth watching. It still has merit artistically. It has some deeper meaning that's really cool outside outside of those scenes. And so, what I was going to say is a grindhouse policy is if, if we ever recommend something like that, please just steal that movie. Yeah, don't pay for it. Don't buy it. You all have the internet. You can download, or you have that friend that, that knows how to get those, you know, file sharing sites. You know what I'm talking about. Don't even watch it on Netflix. Whatever. You, don't don't rent it. Just steal it. If there's a, if there's anything, and that just goes outside of things we recommend. If there's anything you want to watch that has real animal cruelty in it, steal that movie. Yeah, the Grindhouse podcast does not uh, condone or uh, is in no shape or form okay with any form of animal cruelty uh, in film or in life. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's that idea of like, it's okay in art. That is so stupid. Like there's no one that should suffer for art except for the artist. That's right. And And they should go insane. And yeah, you should suffer a lot. If you're an artist, you should just whatever it takes, do it. Brutally. (laughs) The goal is not to be happy. The goal is to, express yourself be a mirror to society whatever it is you 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 want to accomplish do do that no matter what but don't but don't hurt the little critters while you're at it that's right put a mirror to society and then smash said mirror yes you've been listening to the grindhouse podcast on the sorry no bacon network 
Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. Listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.